you, sir. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. We, uh, we've had a, a whirlwind of a week and weekend, and uh, it's good to be in uh, the Lord's house, gathered together uh, to worship Him and to focus on Him. I love that song that Brother Sean just sang. Uh, you get the glory from this. And uh, again, we've uh, had to say goodbye to uh, a brother of ours uh, this past week. And we've prayed that God would get the glory from it. And uh, we believe that he is and he will. Um, also uh, got a, a text from Deborah, his wife, and she wanted me to share this with everybody uh, this morning. She said, I'm humbled and blessed for the love, prayers, virtual hugs and hugs, visits, and food for my family during the, this very difficult time. Uh, please continue to keep us in your prayers as we begin life without him here. But we know without a doubt he's completely healed and rejoicing in his heavenly home. Uh, through this journey with ups and downs, God has been so good to us. I love Deborah Watkins, and so uh, just keep them in your prayers and keep um, also uh, Debbie and Ricky Moore in your prayers. Uh, brother, um, I got to go up there and pray with Brother Ricky and, and Miss Debbie last night, and um, they're in good, good spirits, knowing that God is in control, and uh, they're going to have a procedure to remove a tumor that's bleeding on her brain um, in the morning. So I know that they'll appreciate your prayers for that as well. And uh, But again, what we just sang about, what we're rejoicing and who we're rejoicing in, uh, kind of brings everything in this life that we struggle with into perspective and uh, gives us that that vision and, and, and goal that's up ahead of us. And, you know, we, we started a message last week in this study and I was hoping that we would get through it as a, talking about Peter's uh, sermon that he was given there on the day of Pentecost. And we got through the first two points. And then I was like, well, what are we going to do with that? Now we've got to do point three. And uh, there are already a couple other very major points inside of that point three that were in the notes. And I was like, oh, well, that's going to take a long time too. So uh, we'll just uh, preach this as uh, part B uh, to this message. And so uh, just as a reminder... Um, if you haven't been here or you're a guest with us, we definitely want to thank you for being our guest. And um, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at the church and grabbing hold of like, foundational truths and important things that is clearly seen in that first church that we should be applying, I believe, today as the church at the end. They were kind of, if you're looking at it as a race, they were that, that starting leg of the race. And they ran, they came out of the blocks and that first church was doing amazing things. And I, I believe, according to the end, uh, what the Bible says about the end times, that we're the anchor leg, if you will. And we may not be. We may be the third leg. But uh, it feels like and it, and, it, and it appears to be that we're the anchor leg. And we have a great responsibility of crossing the line, if you will, uh, for the church, for the kingdom of God, and, and doing it with, with all our might. And so it's important to grab hold of what the church looked like in the beginning and make sure that we're not so far removed from that uh, that when we stand before the Lord, it's, it's not that well done, but it's maybe, oh no, <laughs> you know. Um, 
but the first two points in, in last week's message, foundational truths, and, and again, truths that we saw have to be proclaimed today. These are n- never changing, always important, again, foundational truths that the church has been entrusted with. The first point was this, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is a, a big praise the Lord because, again, it was something the prophets foretold and it was being revealed on that day of Pentecost. And so as they began to proclaim this message of salvation for all people, that was the open door, the invitation for those who were away from God, far from God, not in a close relationship with God, to be welcomed in to an intimate relationship with God. And so, again, that truth still remains today. The door is still open. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. Shall be saved. Point number two was Jesus is Lord and Christ. And again, we, we dug into that and saw what those words Lord and Christ means is so vital for us as the church today to proclaim Jesus still Lord and Christ. Because we can't, we can't have one without the other. They're not exclusive. They're combined. And so Jesus being Lord means that he is God and that he is over all. That's what Lord means. And so when we say, I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven when I die, and we say, well, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior, we also accept him and trust him and confess him as our Lord. That means he is over our life. He is the one that directs us, and we follow his direction. And so again, Christ being the Messiah, being the one that was promised, being the one that was sent to save the world from our sins. And so again, you can't have one without the other. We were covering Peter's sermon again, as I said, and uh, saw that the Jews were gathered from every nation uh, on that day and in that season of time. And during that time and on that day that the Holy Spirit came down, the Bible says that the gift of tongues or the gift of languages was imparted to the church, to the apostles specifically, it says, and they began to speak in these languages that they didn't know at the time. They were human languages, but they didn't know them at the time. Again, they were Galileans, and that was the, that was the struggle. They were, the, the, the people that were gathered there from every nation, they were, they were saying, how can we understand these guys in our own language? Because they're Galilean. They speak Galilean. We speak this. But they were hearing them talk about God and the wonderful works of God in their own language. Again, the clear gospel message in that moment was shared. The opportunity was taken. And again, all of those people gathered from every nation heard the presentation of God so loved the world, heard, heard the presentation of the gospel, and this morning we're going to see what the response is. And so I want to pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for um, giving us the confidence and the hope, uh, the, the, the blessed assurance of knowing what this life uh, is about. We, we can have confidence in knowing that it's about us having a relationship with you and telling others so that they can have a relationship with you. God, this world becomes so busy and so uh, confusing, and uh, we get so wrapped up in so many other things. And I pray this morning, just as the message was clear 2,000 years ago, as Peter, uh, Peter preached it on, on that day of Pentecost, that today the message would be just as clear, not only in this pulpit today and in this church, but in our lives as we share it with others, that we would clearly share that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. God, that that you made a way by sending him to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and he rose again the third day. And because he did that, and because of who he is, we can place our faith, our confidence, 
and him, and we can be saved. Uh, Lord, we thank you for loving us that much. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for, again, this opportunity to be in your word. Lord, we again pray for anybody here that may not have a personal relationship with you. Maybe they're trying to be good. Maybe they're trying to do right things. Maybe they're trying to do it on their own. Maybe they're watching online and they're, they're wondering about what's next in life and with all the confusion and all the division and all the hurt and all the things that are going on in our world, maybe somebody's searching for hope. Lord, this morning I pray your word speaks to those people in need. For those of us who have accepted that free gift already, we've placed our confidence in Christ alone. Or may we take these truths again and it would be fuel for us to share with other people these important things. And again, just be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, I do want to say this. We, we used to hand out notes, and we might get back to that eventually. But uh, we have online notes. If you want to do that, um, you can go to uh, our church center app and, and, and access it there. But... Um, we pick up in, in, in the scripture here, Acts chapter 2, it says, verse 37, now when they heard this, again, P- Peter had just preached and gave them a history of their life, basically, their, their lineage, talked about what Jesus did for them, what God did, and then now here's what happens. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, that means they were convicted, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Again, they, they had just heard that they had crucified the Son of God, Jesus. They had, they had done away with the, the, the one that God, uh, again, God coming in the flesh to save them from their sins. They, they were the ones that were guilty, his blood on their hands. He came and did that because of their sins, and, and, and they were convicted. It, it broke their heart that their lies and the things that they had stolen and the hate that was in their heart and the lust that was in their heart and, and all the things that they had done— and committing sin against God was the very reason that God came and died for them. And that pierced their hearts, that broke their hearts, that, that he didn't deserve it, but he chose it because of his love for them. And it's still true today. He did it still for us today, living today. That sacrifice made 2,000 years ago was because God so loved the world. And so they said, what do we do? Uh, something I think important to note, you've heard the old saying that you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, this is so true about salvation. I wish that every person that I've ever shared the good news of Jesus Christ with, the gospel, said this exact same thing that these guys did, these people did on this, this day of Pentecost. When they said, okay, what do we need to do? Tell us what to do. Now, now we've heard what Jesus did for us. Now we, we understand that he rose from the grave and that he, he did all this so that we could be saved. We could have a relationship with God that, that hell, that he, the eternal destruction that's reserved for Satan and his demons wouldn't be our eternal fate. We realize all those things. So what do we got to do? I wish every person I've ever shared the gospel with said that same exact thing, but I I have to tell you, the overwhelming majority of people that I've shared the gospel with have not said that. The majority of them walked away or turned turned away or closed the door into the conversation and said, not right now. Let me think about it. I've got a lot going on. I'll I'll take the card. So many people have, have turned away from that 
that truth, this foundation on this amazing good news that God died for their sins so that they wouldn't have to pay for their sins themselves. And to walk away is such a heartbreaking thing. But these people, again, said, what do we have to do? Tell us what we need to do. I love the, the explanation that Jesus gives in the parable of the sower. He talks about that there's different types of soil that the word of God or different types of hearts, the condition of a, of a person's heart that the word of God, the gospel falls onto. But out of the three different types of soil, four different types of soil, there, there's only one that takes root and actually produces fruit. It's the one that readily receives that good news. It's the one that, that has no reservations, has no hindrances, nothing standing in the way, no excuses, no distractions. It's simply received and then responded on. And when the gospel pierces somebody heart, somebody's heart like it did here on the day of Pentecost, you don't have to make, like as I said, a horse drink that water. When a horse realizes and comes to an understanding that it's thirsty and it needs that water, it'll drink it. And when somebody comes to a place where they realize that they can't do enough to be right with God, when somebody comes to a place and they realize that it's their sin that will be what they pay for for all of eternity, when somebody comes to that realization and they realize there's only one way to have their sins forgiven and to, to spend eternity in heaven, when they realize that and there's conviction and it hits the heart right, they respond just as these people did. What do I have to do to be saved? So Peter tells him, man, that's a, good, that's a good thing too, right? Can you imagine if Peter said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't have any more time to share with you what you need to do from this point forward. But Peter goes on to explain in verse 38, he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for because the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off and as many as, as our Lord God will call. In verse 40 says, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse, this wicked generation. The point number three, which is our first point this morning, is faith and repentance go hand in hand for forgiveness of sins. A lot of people hear the, the good news of Jesus Christ, hear the gospel, and they say, okay, so all I need to do is pray a prayer and believe in Jesus alone. And many times there is a, a misunderstanding of what that actually is. And we've touched on that throughout this study already. But I want to I go further into those two words primarily, faith and repentance. Because you can't have forgiveness of sins without that. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So Jesus shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven, ultimately forgiven. But when we, in order to have that blood applied to our life, our response to the gospel has to be faith and repentance. They're, they're, they're combined, and we'll see that. But the first, the, the, the letter A under, underneath here uh, about faith is, is this. To trust God wholly means you abandon trust in all others, including self. That is the explanation. That's the definition of what faith is in the Bible. Faith isn't some fairy tale, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, nice thought, best option I have, I hope it all works out kind of thing. That's not what faith is in the Bible. Faith 
is an absolute confidence in something or someone. That's what faith is. Biblical faith is an absolute faith, absolute confidence in something or someone. A good example is this, and this we'll, we'll touch on in just a second, in Scripture, was Abraham. If, if you're familiar with Scripture, if you're not, there's a man in the Bible, it's called the father of faith. He was told to go and make a sacrifice, go worship the Lord is what he was, he was told to do. And he took his son Isaac up on a mountain, and he was going to sacrifice his son for the Lord. And some people said, that, that's really weird. But Abraham trusted God. That's what the Bible says, Abraham trusted God. And we know that in that testing and in that command, God stopped him and provided a lamb, a ram in, in the thicket, and, 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 and that was sacrificed. But Abraham had trusted God with his only son, holy, having confidence in him. Faith is knowing there are no other options. Jesus is not the best option. He is the only option. That's faith. When somebody says, I trust Jesus, it means that I have put all of my confidence, all of my eggs, if you will, in the basket of Jesus. There, there is no other way for me. There is no other person I trust for salvation except for Jesus. It's not the best option. It's not the best of all the other things. No, it is the only option for salvation. That's what faith is. And as pertaining to forgiveness of sins, for salvation, it means that you're convinced and you're fully persuaded and you have absolute confidence, again, in Christ's work for, for, for your sins. Hebrews chapter 11 is what I was referring to a while ago, and I just want to read several verses because it's called the, the, uh, the chapter of faith in the Bible, and it explains that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So what is faith? What, what, how do we, again, we talked about it's absolute confidence. It's, it's trusting in Christ alone. Here's what the Scripture says to, in, in reference to that. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So while we don't see heaven right now, while we don't see Jesus in the flesh anymore, while we don't see the, 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 the person of God with our physical eyes right now, faith is knowing and trusting 100% as if we do. It's not, it's not mystical. It's not imaginary. It's like I said, it's not fairy tale. It's being convinced and fully persuaded that he is who he says he is. And he's done what he, said he says he's done. And it says this, for by it, people of old received their, their com, uh, commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe were created by the word of God. We trust that God breathed out the stars that he spoke the earth and the, and, and the moon and, and, and everything into existence. We trust that God created by his words so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he died. Though he died, he, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and was not found because God had taken him. He was, he was just called up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and they had never seen the world be flooded by water. They had never seen it rain. But Noah trusted God. Noah had faith in God that it was going to happen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world. I'm sorry, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, as we spoke of a while ago, obeyed when it's called to go out of the place where he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she had considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as were the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand of the seashore by the seashore. All of these, it says, trusted God for things they didn't see. They had absolute confidence, and so it moved them in their trust in God. It says this, they all died in faith, not having received the promise, the things promised, but having seen them, as I said a while ago, and greeted them afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was stated, though Isaac shall, through Isaac, your offspring, uh, offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In Romans chapter 4, the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is, uh, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law where there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inheritors of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Listen what it says. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. I love this statement. Here's where we're going. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he, was, he had promised. I mentioned the scriptures last week, but in Jesus' own words, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was walking with a bunch of people, a lot of people, it says. As they were going along, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. That sounds like a statement of faith. That sounds like a statement of confidence. I'll go with you, Jesus, wherever you go. There was a multitude of people following him at this time. Jesus turns around and says this to him. 
I mean, you would think that, man, he's popular. There's people following. Why would you mess that up? You got a lot of, you got a big crowd following you because he wanted people to trust him because that's the only way to be saved and have sins forgiven. That's why he said this. He wasn't out to be popular. He was there to save. And that's what is still offered today. But he says this. The foxes have holes and the birds have the air, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You still want to follow me? <laughs> we got homes, we got families, we've got jobs, we've got security, we've got all the things that we know in this world. We can wrap our arms around it, and that gives us assurance and confidence. And Jesus says, You want to follow me? You have to realize this world is not my home. This world, this world is what I created, but I have a better place, a better land. This is what we saw, saw a while ago, that those who put their faith in, in Jesus were looking for that better land. So he says, There's, this is not my place, it's not my home. And so he looks and he says to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, think about that for a second, right? Somebody just called out and said, look, well, I'll follow you wherever you go. And so he turns and he says, follow me. Follow me. And that response, the first response is, let me first go and bury my father. And in our hearts and our minds and our lives today, we say, well, that would be a good reason to let him go and take care of that. But look what the answer is. Allow the dead to bury, bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Wow. Maybe is that... Is that hard-hearted? Is that insensitive? Is that, is that something that was, well, why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he say, okay, yeah, sure, go do that, and then when you get an opportunity, come back? I believe it's, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen. Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. If, if you have the opportunity to trust Jesus and follow Jesus right now, he was saying, this is your opportunity. This is the moment. The moment you realize that Jesus is the only way, you need to put your confidence and faith in him. Don't tarry, don't wait, don't consider, but follow him wholeheartedly. Amen. And so then another one says, I I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That's their family. That, that's, you know, okay, look, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll be a part of this kingdom mission. Uh, I'll, I'll put all my confidence in you, and, and I'll do all of that, but let me go say goodbye to my family first. And again, in our, in our mindset today, we said those are okay things to do, but what Jesus was talking about was the importance, the absolute importance of, of, of when you realize that Jesus is the only way, that he is the only one who can save you, to not look for a reason not to follow him right then. Don't, not your family, not your job, not anything else. Once you come to that place, you realize that Jesus is the only one who can save you and that you're a sinner lost in your sins. You're going to spend eternity paying for those sins if you don't put your faith, your confidence in Christ alone. If you go another day, you may die in your sin. So Jesus was saying, no. He says, no, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Not only is it, is it about taking opportunity for salvation right now, but it's also the type of confidence. If Jesus is your only hope, if he's your only way, if you realize and you have confidence that he is, he is your Savior and your Lord, then you can't have an allegiance 
to anyone else or anything else. He was drawing those lines in the sand to say, you know what? I came, I left glory. I put on human flesh that I created so that I would be a perfect sacrifice for your sins. I'm the one that blessed you with life. I'm the one that blessed you with family. I'm the one that blessed you with this. And if you're going to follow me, it has to be all or nothing. All or nothing. In Luke chapter 14, he explains that in a few more chapters. He says, now great multitudes went with him, still with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate. And the Greek word that was translated to hate in our English, it actually means love less. It doesn't actually mean to hate because then we say, well, is Jesus saying that we're supposed to hate? Because later he would say that if you hate, you've committed murder. No, it's not the same type of hate, malice in your heart towards something. It's a comparison word. It's a word that means you love something or someone less. So he says, if anyone comes to me and wants to follow me and he doesn't, Love his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life less, he cannot be my disciple. That's, that's, the, that's the illustration. It's not that you ha- have to hate your family and, and your life and all those things. It's that you have to love even your own life, your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sister, everybody. You have to love everything and everyone less than Jesus, he says, and if you can't have that type of confidence in me, you can't follow me. Because at some point in time, there's going to be a pull between allegiance. And if you don't love me more than anything and anything and anyone, then that's not absolute confidence. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all, the, all those who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and he was not able to finish it. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the, the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? There's a purpose. There's, there's, there's an impact that's made when we put our confidence in Christ. It changes our life. Faith, trust, confidence, belief, fully persuaded. All of these are the essence of what it means to have faith. And again, faith is something that brings about the forgiveness of sins. But it's accompanied, as we said a while ago, with Repentance. And letter B is repent so your sins are forgiven. Be baptized because your sins are forgiven. That's the structure in that, in that charge that Peter gave. So what does repent means? It means what does it mean? <laughs> repent means to change your mind. Not temporarily either, but a once and for all thing. Repentance isn't being sorry. Being sorry is being sorry. Contrition, 
is being broken, being, being sorry for the sins that you've commit, committed. Repentance is coupled with faith because this is what happens. It, it, it's, I'm going this way, and now I trust in Christ. My mind, my heart has changed, and now I'm going completely, a completely opposite direction as I was before. That is to repent, to change your mind, change your direction. So I, I want to kind of give you a, a clear understanding of what Peter was actually saying when he told those people, when they said, what do we do? When he said repent, here's the structure. So the Greek word repent broken down, the mood is imperative. So that meant that the people that were listening and asking, what are we supposed to do? They had a charge that they were supposed to do. It was imperative. It was a command. Repent. You do it. The number of it was plural because there was a group of them asking that question. So they were all to do this as they asked, what are we supposed to do? The tense is aorist, which means that it's a single point. Something had an impact, and now it has forever been changed. And so it means that they were to do something, all of them to do something, based on something that was a single point in history that would forever be changed. And the voice is active. That means that they were required to actually do something. It wasn't something that they were uh, to, to consider. It was, what do we do in light of the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and he's the only way for us to go to heaven? Peter's answer was, you need to, right now, based off of the conviction of your heart, based off of what Jesus has done for you, you need to turn around and follow Jesus. You need to stop going the direction you're going and follow after Jesus. What is the direction they were going? After sin. They were going, living in sin. And the only way to have those sins forgiven, stamped out, was to trust and believe in Christ alone. And married with that confidence in Christ was a change of direction, a change of mind. Again, it's vital to recognize that the first word he says here is repent. Not anything else, not, not, hey, you guys need to come back to the temple with me, which would be important in the days to come. Not be baptized first. No, the, the first thing was, if you are convinced and convicted of your sin, you need to turn around, change your mind, and follow Jesus. And then be baptized. Again, those gathered there knew what it meant to change their mind. They knew what it meant to change direction. They knew that their families would be upset if they came from a, a, Jewish strong, a, a, a strong Jewish family. They, they knew that they might be ousted. They knew that there was religious leaders that would come down on them. All those things they knew, and so they understood that when I change my direction and change my mind, it may cost a whole lot. But I'm convinced, and I have confidence in no other. It means that they would go the way of Jesus. And once they did that, they would be identified with Jesus. Therefore, they would have to be obedient to his commands. The first being, be baptized. Some people think that Peter was talking about the spiritual baptism that happens at at salvation by the Holy Spirit. We've referenced it before, but Ephesians chapter 1 says that the, the Holy Spirit does the washing 
Um, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 3 says that it does the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's an immersion, a spiritual immersion. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and does this washing work. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you will. But then there's the physical baptism. The physical baptism is similar to, we've always explained it like this, I have a wedding ring on, and I can take this wedding ring off and set it right there, and I'm just as married to Rochelle as when I have it on. But what this does is this is an outward symbol. This shows everybody that there's been a lifelong commitment made to one woman. When we get baptized, water baptism is that outward showing that I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. So what happens next as we finish? That's what to do, Peter tells them, repent. Look what happens in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. They received it, which means that they accepted it. They believed it, which means that they had turned away from their sins. They had turned away from their self. They had turned away from the, the, the world. They had turned away even from, from, well, so what about my family? They had said, I am following Jesus no matter what. If my family disowns me, if, 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 I, if, if I have to sacrifice everything in this world, I trust Jesus alone. Yeah. So what Jesus asked me to do that, if I follow him, I don't know. But when you are convinced and convicted of your sin, and you fully believe that Jesus is the only way to save, he's the only one who can save you from your sin, because he died in your place and he rose from the grave, it's the type of allegiance that says, as I said a while ago, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Just as he said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. When we say, I repent of my sins and I fully trust Jesus, it means... I'm all in. There's no other options. I'm, I'm not worried about anything else because I have absolute confidence in Jesus alone. So they received his word, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Again, Peter's discourse, this clear presentation of the gospel, brings about a response that was miraculous. 3,000 people. 3,000 people who were pricked in the heart repented and trusted Jesus and they showed that faith and they showed that confidence that showed that unashamed trust by getting in the baptismal waters and being identified as followers of Jesus Christ 3,000 souls I got to thinking about that as I was going back studying through this and I think at one time I think we at the most maybe have baptized like 10 you know, and after 10, you're thinking, man, I could do this for a long time. But then you start thinking 3,000 souls, 3,000. Do that. Do those 10 300 more times. It's a good thing that they had elected uh, Matthias to help them, you know. You know, 11 guys doing 3,000. Now you got 12 guys doing 3,000. But this is the picture of what salvation looks like. They were baptized. They follow and now they're identified with. This church, 120 people, faithful and available men, in one accord, continuing in prayer, waiting for the Lord to move. And when he did, they responded 
And then God worked a miracle. 3,000 souls saved and baptized. I want to say this morning, if you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church, this is the example we have to follow. What were they doing? They were praying. They were unified. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit. They were acting when the Holy Spirit moved. And they were, they were looking and operating with spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. And, and it was all about the kingdom of God. Man, look at our world today and how much of a mess it is. Just as we saw a while ago, we believe there's a better country that God is preparing for us. Man, we have a, a greater call, a greater purpose to be living for than to get bogged down in this world. And man, let's be like that first church. Let's be ever mindful that the gospel still today has the power to change lives. It says that it's the power of God and salvation, but the question I have to ask this morning of every Christian today is how much power are we missing with our silence? How much power is being missed in our church and through our church because of our silence with the gospel? These people acted when the Holy Spirit moved. Again, Jesus promised you will receive power and then you will be my witnesses. In Acts chapter 1 we saw. Acts chapter 2 it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to, to speak. Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. God opens the door for us almost every day. We have to be the ones that are looking for it. And we have to be the ones that are sharing it. The signs are there. The end is near. Are we heeding the signs? Are you laboring for the master? Are we being the church, sharing the gospel? Let's take these foundational truths and share them. And if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you heard what these truths that were revealed today, and you realize that you've been trying to be a good person, you, you're going off of some prayer that you prayed when you were little. You're going off of some idea that you're, you live a better life than so many other people than you. I'm telling you, the scripture is clear. There's only one way to salvation. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. And that's repentance that's coupled with faith. You saw what the faith looks like. You saw what the repentance looks like. And if you've never done that before, I'm urging you, just as Jesus said a while ago, don't wait. Don't think about what you have to do later. Don't think about your other commitments. If you realize that you're a sinner because you've broken God's law, and you realize that you've never truly put all of your confidence in Christ, you realize that you've never changed your mind and changed your direction to follow Jesus, if that's where you're at, then don't wait, don't tarry, because you don't have any idea what lies ahead. You don't know what lies ahead on that street out there or tomorrow. You don't know what, what's going to happen any other time you have right now. And I beg you before you leave today to make sure that you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have more questions about that or you need to talk to someone about that or you say, I want to do that, I want to be the one that decides to follow Jesus and not turn back, then we're going to have an invitation in just a second. We're going to just play uh, some music. We have music back there. Amen. And I want to encourage you when everybody stands or some people are going to come down here uh, just to pray and respond, I want to encourage you to come. And so I, I, don't, I don't know about that, but I want to talk to somebody. Then before you leave, stop by the Welcome Center and say, I need to talk to someone about salvation. I want to know that heaven's my home today. Don't wait. Don't put it off.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do in our life. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, thank you for giving us the clear message of the gospel, that we can know that heaven is our eternal home because of what you've done on our behalf. Lord, we can understand and see what true faith is. It's not fairy tale. It's not some I hope so. It's not the best option. It's the only option, absolute confidence, trust 100% in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we can understand that faith coupled with repentance is what brings about the forgiveness of sin. Lord, we realize that that's how the blood is applied in our life when we turn away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ. And I pray again, if there's somebody here that hasn't done that, that they'll do that before they leave or before they turn their computer off. And again, for those of us who have done that, may we not be silent. May we not miss the power that is available in and through sharing the gospel. Lord, we want to be used up. We want to bring you glory. Lord, so help us to respond the right way to this message. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand this morning. As music plays, I want to encourage you to come again. If you have questions about salvation, don't wait. Don't hesitate.